Mark chapter 10. If you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of our text. So good to see you today. Verse 1 says, And he arose from thence, talking about Jesus, of course, Mark 10, 1. And he arose from thence, and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And in the house his disciples ask him again, privately of course, of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. As we look into this passage today, we're going to be dealing with one of the most controversial, I guess, subjects that you could deal with. And look at what Jesus said about it. There are a lot of things that are being said about it that aren't necessarily in line with what Jesus said about it. But um, I think all of us, and I especially want to emphasize this uh, to our single people, children, teenagers, young adults, how this emphasizes the importance of the marriage unit, the family unit. We'll emphasize that together as we move along. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word how precious it is to us. We pray that you would grant us understanding. Lord, may your spirit lead as we teach, as we preach, as we listen, as we learn. And Father, may your word, Lord, find a resting place in our heart as we receive it with meekness. And we thank you for it today. And we trust you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to begin in verse 1, just kind of spend a couple of moments there, kind of catching up. uh, Because it says in verse 1, He arose from thence, and cometh into the coasts of Judea, by the farther side of Jordan. So it's kind of given us an idea of where He's been. We know where He's going, and where He is. We have a little map, if we could see that to sort of illustrate this. And... Uh, You see at the very top of the map where Jesus had gone, this is the northernmost part that he ever traveled, uh, Caesarea Philippi. And from there, he begins to make his way down through Galilee 
and to Capernaum. As a matter of fact, just look at your Bible there, and you, you can see a few points of reference. Look in chapter 9 and verse 30. It says, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. As he left Caesarea Philippi, he goes through Galilee, uh, which is where Capernaum is, the Sea of Galilee is. But notice it says in verse 30, he didn't want anybody to know it. He didn't, he's not trying to draw crowds. He's trying to spend this very important, intimate time with his disciples that we've been covering over last several messages. Verse 33 of chapter 9 says he came to Capernaum. And there they begin to have some uh, theological discussions, really, about um, various subjects. And he moves on from there. And then we, we look in chapter uh, 10 and verse 1, as we said. So he left there, and he comes into the coast of Judea. Now, you'll notice between Galilee, where Capernaum is, and Judea, where Jerusalem is, the region of Samaria. And it's very clear in verse 1, he says, he, when he came into the coast of Judea, by the farther side of Jordan, it's on the east of the Jordan River. That's the way Jews would normally travel from the northern part of Galilee to Judea. They would avoid going through Samaria. They'd go on the eastern side of the Jordan River and make that way down. And so that's kind of, and by the way, where is he going? This is his final trip into Jerusalem where he will be crucified. We're actually probably weeks from the crucifixion at this point. It's interesting in verse 1, it says, And the people resort unto him again. The word resort is an interesting word. It means to come together or to travel with. It's very likely that many of these people from Galilee are going to Jerusalem to be there for the Passover, which is the feast time when Jesus would be crucified. And so no doubt these people are traveling in families and caravans and, and Jesus is a part of that group they're re, where they're resorting to him again. And it says there in verse 1, as he was wont, the word want means as he's accustomed to or used to, he taught them again. So now Jesus is not just spending this time with his closest inner circle, he's spending this time with the crowds that are making their way to Jerusalem. And uh, he's beginning to teach them. And so in that setting, in verse 2, the Pharisees, as was their custom, begin to question him. They're getting cl he's getting close to Judea. The Pharisees, of course, from that region around Jerusalem especially. And so they begin to ask this question in verse 2. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? Now... The word, the, that phrase, tempting him, sheds a lot of light on what their motive was. They weren't asking this because they really wanted to know the teaching. They were asking him because they wanted to trick him. They were tempting him. That was their modus operandi. They wanted to always trick. They, they played these gotcha moments. Reminded me of the press, really. These gotcha moments. We're going to say something and see if we can catch him. And they begin to question him. Question him about the subject of marriage. So again, verse 2, is it lawful? Is it according to the law? Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And the question is about what is, what is the legitimate grounds, what is the legitimate reason to put away your wife? Of course, putting away is another way of saying the word divorce. Divorce. 
And so what did Jesus say? Look in verse 3. He answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? Now these people were experts in the Mosaic law. So he's, he said, what did Moses say? And they said in verse uh, 4, Moses suffered or allowed to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. And I think it would be worth our while uh, today to go to that passage that uh, they are quoting from about this bill of divorcement. So hold your finger here in Mark chapter 10, and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, and we'll read just a few verses here. And it's a very interesting passage, I believe. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, Deuteronomy 24, 1, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. Interesting phrase. I have that underlined in my Bible. This man marries a woman, and then he all of a sudden begins to realized something he did not know before. He found no favor in, her eye, in his eyes because, it says, he hath found some uncleanness in her. Now, the Bible didn't tell us what that uncleanness is, but it's more than she burnt the biscuits. <laughs> the word, in my margin of my Bible, in the center column, it has the word nakedness. Found some uncleanness in her, and it probably is some immorality, some indication of immorality. Maybe before, maybe after marriage, it doesn't tell us. But if he finds some uncleanness in her, it goes on and says in verse 1, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, which basically would end the marriage. Let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of the house. Now this is the verse that the Pharisees are using when Jesus asked them, what did Moses say about putting someone away? And so he, if he found some uncleanness, he would give her a bill of divorcement and put it in her hand as a legal document and send her out of the house. Now why would he do that? What was the purpose of him divorcing her, giving her a bill of divorcement? Verse 2 tells us. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. She would be free to remarry. The, the bill of a divorcement was for her benefit. It wasn't for his benefit, it was for her benefit. So that she wouldn't have to remain single the rest of her life because he decided he didn't want her anymore. Does that make sense to you? Is that what you see in that passage? Now, there's another couple of verses here that I think we'll go ahead and read. Oh, it doesn't really pertain to our, our subject, but it says, and if the, if the latter husband, verse 3, if the latter husband, the second husband she has, hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of his house, 
Or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, that's the second husband, if he dies, her former husband, her first husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So reading this passage in Deuteronomy 24 to me sheds light on what Jesus is teaching, answering really response to their question in Mark chapter 10. Now I want to go back to Mark chapter 10 and read this phrase again that I read right before we went to Deuteronomy 44, uh, 24. And that's in verse 5 of Mark chapter 10. So Jesus tells, or they tell him, Moses allowed for this bill of divorcement in verse 4. And Jesus answered in verse 5 and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Now that's an interesting phrase. I think it's a very revealing phrase. He says, um, because of the heart, it's only because of the hardness of your heart that he did this. And these precepts, these principles, and he's going to say in a moment, and we'll cover that, because he said in the beginning it was not so. So God gave these precepts, God gave this, these further directives, not just because it was God's perfect will and plan, because God's initial plan was the perfect plan, and that is one man for one woman for life. But he says because of these issues, God gave them these other precepts. Because the hardness of their heart. And we don't know the exact application of that. Maybe there was something that she was not willing to change in her life. Maybe there was something he was not willing to forgive in her life. Maybe he could have forgiven it. He would have had the grace if he desired it. We don't know that. But by the way, you could take that principle and say, a lot of times problems in marriages, even marriages that survive, problems are sometimes because of the hardness of our hearts. It's because we're not willing to let God work. We're not willing to seek God's best. We're not willing to compromise. So with that, is, with that said, in verse 6, let's keep going through this passage. Jesus takes them back to the beginning. Verse 6, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Two genders. By the way, it's still that way. God made them male and female. And verse 7, for this cause, for the cause of marriage, the man and the woman, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. This is taken from Genesis chapter 2, the beginning. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain, two of them, they twain shall be one flesh. So there are no more twain. There are no more two, but one flesh. This was the way God set up marriage. Two people come together, a man and woman come together, and they become one flesh. And that's why he says then in verse 9, What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Now I want to take just a moment and just emphasize this aspect of what Jesus is teaching. And that is this. Every attempt should be made to save and strengthen every marriage. Every attempt. In Malachi chapter 2, there's an interesting phrase about marriage. I think it's uh, really uh, relevant to this. It calls the marriage a covenant. It's not just an agreement. It's not just a contract. 
Malachi 2 says, The Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. A covenant is much more serious than simply a contract. Marriage should be entered into. Young people, I hope you're listening today, and I'm sure your parents are teaching you the same thing. But marriage should be entered into with the intention that it's going to be for life. Would you agree with that? And it's a covenant before God. And one of the, one of the things that I strongly emphasize when I'm doing premarital counseling uh, is that the most important part of the marriage ceremony it's not the flowers it's not the photographs it's not the color of the bridesmaids dresses it's not the music it's not even the sermon the most important part of it is the vow the commitment because that's what that's what makes the marriage work is those vows those commitment the exchanging of the vows. As y'all know, uh, back in April, we had a wedding at our house. Um, here we have the picture in the beautiful, beautiful wedding hall. It's actually a lean-to. For those of you who weren't there, or didn't, haven't seen it, none of you were there most except our close family. It was just, it's a lean-to on the side of our our barn. Since then, we've started to advertise this as a wedding venue. If anybody wants to have their marriage there, <laughs> just a few bales of hay. They took a long time to decide on Eric's wardrobe <laughs> for this special occasion. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, and I, and I emphasize this to them at that scene as we stood there. This is really, we don't have the beautiful auditorium. We don't have the flower. Well, there are a few little flowers gathered up from places. We, didn't, we had music, but it lacked a lot. If you were there, you know. But the most important part was the vows. That's the most important part. And honestly, that's one of the, my favorite weddings of all time. Because it emphasized what really is most important. You know... When you say to the couple before God and the witnesses present, you must promise to do this. Do you so promise? And Eric said, I do. And to Kenzie, I said, do you so promise? And Kenzie said, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> pretty close to right, isn't it? <laughs> you know, cultural changes have minimized the commitment of marriage. And I'm not teaching this lesson to make people feel bad who've had more than one marriage or had a failed marriage. You know, I'm going to just say this. Anybody, any one of us, including the one doing the speaking, I can hear things and hear sermons and it causes me a bit of pain because it's, because it's problems that I've had and mistakes that I've made. We all live with that. But we support, even, 
in all of us, we support putting all of our energy into saving every marriage that we can. I was raised in a home where divorce was a reality. My parents were divorced. And I've seen close up, marriages can be anything but heaven on earth. So I've, I've lived with that. But marriage choices should be made prayerfully and carefully because we're planning on this being for the rest of our life. Now in verse 10, the disciples privately asked Jesus to clarify his teaching. So let's look at that together. And in, his, and in the house, in the house privately with his disciples, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. We, they asked him to teach them more about this. Expound upon it. In verse 11, Jesus said, And he saith unto them, or he, he, he begins in verse, this sentence, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now, one thing that tells us is that marriage is a serious, serious decision. Amen. But it also tells us that divorce is a serious matter. Now, why did Jesus call it adultery to put away one's spouse? Because God is the one that put them together. What God hath joined together. When God puts something together, man should not break them apart. Now Jesus, in a couple of other places, I want you to listen to this because I want to turn to it. But Jesus said this, Matthew records this conversation with a, in a couple of places. Matthew 5, for instance, it says, it hath been said, please listen to these words, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, Jesus said, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. The word fornication there is a word that would apply to immorality of any nature, really. And I don't know this for a fact, so don't take this as being for certain, but it makes me wonder if that Deuteronomy 24, when it talked about uncleanness, is talking about the same kind of behavior where that writing of divorcement is given. Matthew 19, Jesus said, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, for immorality, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso, whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, keep in, let's remember the, the original question in verse 2. What was the question? Is it lawful for a man, look in verse 2, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Is that, is that legal? Is that acceptable? Now, again, and it's good to compare the writings of the Gospels. When Matthew recorded this conversation in the Gospel of Matthew, he included this phrase, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In other words, is it, is it okay to put away your wife for any reason? That's what in our 
generation they would call no-fault divorce. And Jesus says when a person divorces for a reason other than immorality, they are ending something that God put together. Now again, this ought to all cause all of us to strengthen and emphasize the importance of marriage. But this, then here's the question though that needs to be addressed. And that is this, but what if a person has made a mistake in this area of their life? How do you fix it? Does it mean that the person who's guilty lives in sin the rest of their life? And I say, absolutely not. And I'll explain to you why. Um, I mean, what if, what if a person to do if they married wrong? By the way, many of us who've only been married to one spouse didn't marry the right way. I mean, we didn't seek guidance. We didn't get God's counsel. We, you know, sometimes we, there are people I'm sure in this room who as a saved person married an unsaved person, that's not the best way to marry them. And all these things violate biblical principles. So many of us have dealt with some of these same matters. So what if you married wrong? Or you didn't realize that what you did was wrong. What do you do? Should you end your, this may seem far-fetched, but I ask the question, should you end your present marriage because of mistakes in the, in the first marriage? And the answer is no. No. There are actual preachers that tell you you ought to do that. If you, if you realize that you, were, that you divorced when you shouldn't have and now you've remarried, you ought to go back, back you ought to divorce this person. Preachers, I, that's not taught in the Bible. Two wrongs do not make a right. So, what are we to do? And I want, I'm going to end this very sensitive teaching with one of my very favorite subjects. And that's the subject of forgiveness. If a person ended their marriage in the wrong way, or if a person married wrong, Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. It may be treated that way by some people. I don't know if people actually say that. But, but forgiveness is a promise for all sin. Right? Forgiveness is a promise for all sin. It's a promise for liars. It's a promise for rebels. It's a promise... For those who've aborted a child before they knew any different, some of the most serious mistakes people can make in their life, forgiveness is a promise for all sin. Whatever the sin is, when we come to Christ, there is forgiveness. Whatever the sin is. Aren't you glad about that today? All our sins, past sins, present sins, future sins are washed and cleanse. Now we may have times that we live in regret. We may have times that we wish we'd have done things differently. All of us have those. I have those. When I hear, when I hear, when I preach on the subject of honoring your father and your mother, you may think this is an exaggeration, but sometimes I feel twinges of pain in my heart because the way I treated my mother. I, you know, all of us have made mistakes and we've been forgiven by the grace of God, but that doesn't mean that you never remember it again. We've all felt the guilt and the shame of our past, or at least most of us have. 
But I want to tell you this day, as, as strong as I can emphasize this, God does not want us to live our lives in the guilt of sin that he has forgiven. Forgiveness is promised through the blood of Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We're washed. We're cleansed because of the sacrifice Jesus paid for us. And I want to say this to all of us today. I want to say this. There are people sitting here today. I'm certain of this, not because I know you or know your heart. It's just a it's, it's, a, it's almost a certain reality. There are people sitting today who've never been saved. Jesus wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be cleansed. And it's a mistake for us to make this scale of what is serious sins and minor sins and these kinds. Sin is sin. It separates us from God. Sin, the, the effect of sin is real for all of us. You say, well, I know that I've told a white liar. No, there are no white lies. They're just truth and lies. But God wants to forgive you. But He doesn't forgive you just because you need forgiveness. He forgives you because you ask Him to forgive you. Because you come in true faith and say, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, who died on the cross for my sins, all my sins, the sins that I didn't understand when I committed them, the sins I knew when I committed them, the sins that happened before I was saved, the sins that happened after I'm saved. Jesus died for all of our sins. And when we come to Him in faith and trust Him, He forgives us of our sins. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you ought to come to Jesus. Come to the cross. Come to the cross and receive his gift of eternal life. So what do we learn from this passage? I said it several times. I'll say it again. We need to take marriage seriously because God takes it seriously. We ought to do everything in our power to strengthen our marriages, to build strong marriages, But know this, when we have sinned in any way, God wants us to experience His forgiveness. Amen. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us, cleanses us. Amen.